Amen. Turn to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter number 3. And uh, like Pastor Tyler said in the video, I hope you'll be back with us next week. Uh, both Pastor and Pastor Tyler will be back with us. And uh, if this is your first time, I know you'll be uh, blessed by their ministry to you. Not only in song, as Pastor Tyler leads the worship, but as you hear Pastor uh, give us and continue the series uh, through the book of Joshua. But this morning, we'll be in Genesis 3. So turn to Genesis 3 in your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you have. And uh, we'll be there this morning. How many of you are familiar with the longtime slogan of one of the most popular energy drinks in the world, Red Bull? There are a lot of commercials. I believe they ran this slogan for over two decades. And they'd have some sort of cartoon commercial. And at the very end of the commercial, they would say this, Red Bull gives you wings, right? Turns out, that was a great slogan. Turns out that creative, cool slogan eventually cost them $13 million in a false advertising lawsuit. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. In all the ads that the company ran, they, they didn't literally make the claim and give you wings, but the idea of the commercial was that Red Bull would give you improved concentration and reaction speed because of the uh, stuff in the energy drink, right? In 2014, several consumers brought the case against Red Bull, upset that after drinking Red Bull for years, this is literally in the lawsuit, that after drinking the drink for years, they never got wings. <laughs> you think maybe Red Bull didn't improve their intellectual abilities <laughs> if they were upset that they didn't get wings? And so they brought the lawsuit against Red Bull, and surprisingly, the claim of false advertising was true enough that Red Bull settled to pay out $13 million, including $10 per customer who had had the drink since 2002. If you're looking for a quick 10 bucks, maybe you need to get on that bandwagon. And this false advertising is all throughout the marketplace, right? In 2009, Olay, which is known for their beauty products, ran an ad for an anti-aging cream where it had a 60-year-old model who looked so beautiful and young. Well, it turns out she looked beautiful and young not because of the cream, but because of Photoshop. How many of you already knew that, right? And they had to settle that for several million dollars as well. And I doubt many of you in the room this morning are gullible enough to fall for the false advertising of Red Bull or Olay or all these other companies. But here's the truth. All of us are susceptible to the false advertising of the master of this world himself, Satan. And when it comes to Satan's false advertising, the stakes are a lot higher because while Red Bull's false advertising may get you to take the bait to buy a $3 drink, Satan's false advertising is out to destroy your life. In Genesis chapter number 3, we're going to pull back the curtain on Satan's methods of tempting us to sin. Because Moses recorded this passage to give us an idea of how Satan works, 
And if we understand how Satan tries to tempt us, it's then that we can equip ourselves to be victorious over sin. And so here's the question we're going to answer this morning from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. How does Satan tempt us? What is his strategy? And how can we guard ourselves against it? I want to show you this morning, first of all, that Satan will tempt you by manipulating God's word. Satan's first tactic is to tempt you by manipulating God's word. Look at verse number one with me. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now I want you to step back for a second and think about the context of this passage. Because in verse number 25, it talked about Adam and now Eve were created. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Everything was great in the garden. They lived in perfect innocence. That's what verse 25 is communicating. Just like your two-year-old can run around the house butt naked and they don't care. That's the idea that they were totally innocent to their own shame before God and to innocent to sin and the effects of sin. There was no pain. There was no crying. There was no sorrow, just like how there will be in heaven someday. And they lived in this perfect garden where everything was just right. I mean, Adam, here's Adam. He's enjoying a custom-made wife. He's enjoying a brand new job where God gave him an assignment to name all of the animals. And they enjoyed the presence of God in complete innocence and bliss. But then the serpent comes along. And verse 1 is careful to note that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That, that word subtle means crafty, tricky. And here's the point, church. Satan used what Adam and Eve were comfortable with to tempt them. What did Adam do for a living? He named the animals. He was all around, he was around animals every day, day in, day out. What did Satan use to tempt Adam and Eve? An animal. And I think a lot of us get caught up because when we talk about Satan, we think that Satan will appear in some Overt form, that's very obvious to us. But here's the truth. Satan will use that which you're most comfortable with to tempt you. Satan doesn't appear as a serpent. If Satan appeared as a serpent in my house, I'd either run for the hills or get a shovel. He's not going to trick me by being a serpent. But you know what Satan will do? He'll tempt you by using a TV show you're comfortable with. He'll tempt you by using a book you're reading. A radio show you follow a friend that you're associated with at work. Satan is crafty, my friend. He's tricky, and he's the best at it, false advertising. And he will you use that which you're most comfortable with to get into your life. Well, how does Satan do that? He tempts us by manipulating God's word. Look at what Satan said through the serpent in verse number one. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now I want you to look back at what God originally commanded Eve in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. That's what God said. 
Now, I want you to notice how Satan just totally manipulated this verse in verse number one of chapter two. He said, thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden. He took out the word mayest and put shall not. He put, uh, he changed thou to ye. He took of every tree of the garden and put it at the end. And here's the idea. Satan painted God as a bad God. And he said, instead of God giving you access to all of the trees, but only one, he said, God has not given you access to any of them. He just outrightly manipulated and changed the word of God. And Satan works just the same today. That one of the primary ways, listen, Satan will get into your life is by manipulating the truth of God's word. I love what one preacher said, and you might write this down. He said that one of Satan's greatest tactics is to put a question mark where God put a period. What did God say? Of every tree thou mayest freely eat. Well, what did Satan say? Yea, hath God said. He puts a question mark where God put a period. What did God say about forgiveness? He's very clear, isn't he? In the New Testament, he says, If a brother offends thee, thou shalt forgive him. Seventy times seven. The idea there is that as just as God has given us unlimited forgiveness, he demands that his people give unlimited forgiveness to others. Very clear, black and white in the scripture. But what does Satan try to do, church? He says, well, hold on a second. If you forgive someone every time they trespass you, they're just going to trounce all over you. They're going to take advantage of you. There has to be a point at some time where there's an exception that you should forgive people unlimited times unless it's your ex. Unless it's a family member who turned their back on you. Unless it's the boss who takes advantage of you. And Satan tries to put a question mark where God puts a period. What did God say about salvation? That where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Here's what God says, that there's nothing you can do to exempt you from God's salvation. Somebody say amen to that, right? None of us have a past that rules us out of God's ability to save us. But what does Satan try to do week in and week out as our pastor calls for people to call upon Christ? Satan whispers into their heart, no, 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 no. You can't be saved because of this in your past. You can't be saved because you came from this background. You can't be saved because I know who your parents are. I know how you spend time in jail. And Satan tries to put a question mark where God put a period. Satan tries to manipulate God's word when it comes to difficulties we face in our life. If you're a Bible believer this morning, you understand that when difficulties come into our life, God wants to use them for the development of our faith. And that just as we know in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, meaning our sanctification, if we love God and we are called according to his purpose. But what does Satan do? He says, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have taken your loved one. If God is really good and holy, he wouldn't allow that injustice to happen to you. If he was really a good father, why would he let them die? And he manipulates and twists God's word. You know what else God's word is very clear about? How the home is supposed to operate. What does Ephesians tell us? That a man's job in his home is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Meaning that a, a husband is supposed to give of himself 
totally and completely to his wife that there is no limit to the amount of sacrifice a husband should make for his wife. And on the other hand, God calls the wife that at the end of the day, if she has made a case for a decision to be made a different way, if the husband makes a decision that she should submit unto him as unto the Lord, that doesn't mean that if a husband's abusive, she stays in the home. That doesn't mean that stuff. But at the end of the day, she should honor and respect the decisions of her husband. And what does Satan do? I mean, it's prevalent throughout our culture. He says, don't you know the Bible is written by a bunch of men? Of course they would say that. Don't you know the Bible is written by a bunch of people who don't like women and think women should be down here and men up here? And he tries to manipulate. He tries to twist. He tries to manipulate God's word. Satan will do whatever he can to put a question mark where God put a period. Now look at how Eve responded in verse number 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, now here she is, she's repeating God's word. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now I don't know about you, I've heard a lot of preachers say, well, Satan was trying to trick her and she kind of took the bait because she added the fact that they weren't allowed to touch the tree. Because God didn't say you can't touch them, God just said you can't eat them. Here's my, my perspective from what I've studied on the past passage is that Satan tried to manipulate God's word, but Eve knew what God said. And she said, hold on a second, Satan. God didn't prohibit the eating of every tree. God said we could eat of all the trees except for this one. And she said we can't eat it nor touch it. And basically what she was doing is she was just adding and saying, listen, if God says I can't eat the tree, I ain't touching that tree. Are you with me? Sometimes as, as people, it's wise for us even though God draws the line here, it's wise sometimes to back up and draw the line here. And so here's what I believe verses 2 and 3 are saying, is that Eve was able to overcome the temptation to manipulate God's word because she already knew what God said. Church, do you realize why we push so hard that you spend time in the Bible every day? Do you realize why we emphasize at the beginning of the year to buy that trust and obey devotional booklet and spend just five minutes in the word of God every day? Do you understand why we, we encourage you to come to church not just Sunday morning, but Sunday night when the Bible is preached and Wednesday night when the Bible is preached and even in our small group Bible classes when the Bible is taught? Do you know why we teach that? Because you cannot withstand the manipulation of God's word until you're filled with information about God's word. That your best defense against, against Satan's manipulation is to be filled with biblical information. And if you don't want to fall prey to Satan's twisting of God's word, you're wise to spend time with God and know what he said. Amen. So here's Satan, he's trying to tempt Eve. First tactic didn't quite work for her. So he rolls out Tactic number two, and here, here it is. Satan will tempt you by questioning God's goodness. Look what Satan says in verse number four. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want you to think about this. Life was perfect for Adam and Eve. 
They weren't even troubled by any of the things you and I are troubled with. Their life was perfect, but somehow Satan managed to convince them that life outside of God's boundaries was better than life in the garden. And you think if Satan can do that to people whose lives were literally perfect, don't you think he can tempt you just the same? And here's what Satan says in verses 4 and 5. He's saying, hold on a second, Eve. You're not going to die. God's just saying that because he's holding back on you. God's just saying that because he doesn't want you to understand and have your eyes open to this new world. He says, you'll be like God's. You'll understand good and evil. It's like as soon as you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open to this whole, whole new world. And God's just trying to hold back on you. Satan tried to portray God as this selfish, unkind, unjust God who is just holding back on his people. You know what Satan tries to do today? Here's what he tries to do. He tries to convince us that life outside of God's boundaries is better than life within God's boundaries. Here's what, here's what Satan tries to say. You mean God wants you to be at church every Sunday? Come on now. Sunday fun day, right? Sunday's the day we enjoy life. You aren't a good parent if you don't take your kids out on the weekend and do something on Sunday because that's your day as a family. He tries to paint it. He writes blog posts. Oh, come on. You've seen them. That if you, if you try to keep your kids in church every single week, they'll grow up to resent you and resent their faith. My friend, that is none other than a tactic of Satan himself. Because guess what? Just a few weeks ago, you know what the largest attended Bible class was in this very church? The one back there with all the young millennial couples. 59 people in a classroom that seats 40 people. And let me, let me just say this. A lot of them are there because they grew up in homes in this church. Yes, we're reaching young families, but a lot of them grew up in Christian homes where their parents drug them to church on Sunday and drug them to church on Wednesday. And you could come to a testimony service at Fellowship Baptist Church and without fail, one of our young people who grew up in this church and grew up in a Christian home will stand up and say, I thank God I had a Christian home. I thank God that I was raised in church, and because I was raised in church and forced to go to church, I'm thankful for that. Amen. And guess what? They stuck around. They don't resent their faith. They don't resent church. In fact, because they were forced to go to church, they appreciate it. What does Satan try to do? He says, no, 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 life in God's boundaries is bad. Life outside of God's boundaries is a whole lot better. He tries to get us to fall to jealousy and envy, right? How many of us have fallen to the tactic of the devil to look at somebody else who has something we don't have and say, man, life would be a lot better if I had the, the amount of kids they had. Life would be a lot better if I had the income they had, if I had the house they had. Why? Because what God has given me in his boundaries is not as good as what's outside of God's boundaries. And you wonder why the average American household has over $9,000 in credit card debt. Why? Because Satan is a master at tempting us to think we need to go out there to get something that's better than what God has given us here. He questions God's goodness. There's no other place in life where Satan has masterfully done this than in the area of sexuality. I mean, the messaging 
I've, I've talked to people who aren't even saved. And they're like, man, I can't watch primetime TV hardly anymore. Why? Because the messaging is so prevalent in our culture that even though God said that sex is meant for one man, one woman, for one lifetime, that everything outside of that, Satan is a master at making it look so great. He says things like, are you kidding me? You're going to commit yourself to a lifetime with somebody if you've never slept with them? Come on now, church. I know this is like, let's not talk about this in church, but let's be real. Satan talks about a whole lot out there we deserve to talk about in here. Very clear in the scripture. He's a master at convincing teenagers that the popular thing is to give away your virginity before you're married. But listen, my friend, God's word is still clear. God's word is still true. That life is best when you live in God's boundaries. And you may not pay the consequences today. You may not have to suffer for what you do today. But the day will come when you realize that, man, life outside of God's boundaries was not as good as Satan made it seem. He questions God's goodness. You know what's hard, I think, for us as Christians is it's really easy for us to look at somebody else who's not living within God's boundaries and say, their life is just fine. Right? Am I right? They're not honoring God, and life is great. They're not staying within God's boundaries, but everything seems to be going okay. I think God was very clear in reminding us the cost of sin when he recorded what happened to Adam and Eve in verses 6 and 7. Because here's what Adam and Eve expected to enjoy. They, they, they expected to take the bite of that fruit and their eyes would be open to this whole new world. Life would never be the same. And instead, when they took the bite, they opened their eyes not to a whole new world, but to shame and embarrassment. Look at verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also under a husband with her, and he did eat. Now stop there. You know what I find interesting about this passage? Where was Adam? Right? The idea in the passage is that Adam was there the whole time, and he said nothing. He was passive. He was letting Satan communicate even to his own spouse, and he did nothing about it. And when the the opportunity came that Eve took a bite of the fruit, she gave it to Adam, and he said nothing. Now look at verse 7. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. That'd be clothing. You know what the truth is this morning, church? Is that Satan is the master at the bait and switch. In fact, that's actually one of the forms of false advertising in the marketplace, is the bait and the switch, right? You sign up for $9.99 a month, and it's only that the first month. The next month, it's like $29.99, right? The bait and the switch. So here's Satan, he says, hey, listen, Why don't you take a bite of the fruit? Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God's. You'll know good and evil. And then as soon as they took a bite of the fruit, he switched it. And they opened their eyes not to to wisdom, not to pleasure, not to the aesthetic beauty of of the tree that she said in verse number 6. They opened their eyes to the shame, the guilt, and the embarrassment that happens when we disobey God's word. 
Here's the truth this morning. That the pleasure sin promises is never worth the pain sin causes. Listen, church, don't think you'll be the exception. Don't think you'll be the exception because Satan will bait you with satisfaction and he'll switch it with emptiness. He'll bait you with a lifestyle upgrade and switch it with debt. He'll bait you with, with more pleasure and he'll switch it with stress and pain and emptiness. Listen, my friends, Satan does it every single time and sometimes it's delayed. Just speaking with somebody this week who they lived a life outside of God's boundaries for years and years before they were married. And what happened? When they got married, they're now paying the consequences for what they did back then. They enjoyed it. There was no consequences then. And they're now facing the consequences today of the lifestyle they lived 10 years ago. You can bank on this, that the, the pain sin causes is never worth the pleasure it promises. And at the end of the rope of sin, there will always be a cost. There will always be a price that we have to pay. And for some here this morning, that, that's old news. Because frankly, maybe you're here this morning and you're at the bottom of the barrel. You're at the end of your rope. You're underneath the weight of your sin. You're facing the consequences of the choices you've made years ago. And maybe there's some of you here this morning that you're facing temptations and you're battling temptations every single day. Can I remind you this morning that your best defense against Satan's temptations is not to question God's goodness, but to trust it. To trust in his goodness. To place your faith that he's a good father. And whatever he's commanded is the best for your life. I don't know about you, but verse 7 is kind of depressing, right? They're ashamed. They feel guilt. And even verse 7 says that they made themselves aprons. They, here's what the idea there is that they were facing shame and guilt before God, and they tried to do something on their own to try and hide their guilt from God. They tried to come up with a man-made solution to fix their guilt, how many of you are familiar that we still do the same thing today? We don't sew ourselves aprons, but sometimes we do things to try and make ourselves feel better in God's presence. We try to do good works. We're making ourselves aprons. We, we try to spend time in church thinking that maybe that'll eradicate the guilt that we feel in our heart. We, we try to turn a new leaf. We try to do different things that make us feel better about ourselves. But here's the, here's the truth at the end of the day, that whatever we do to try to alleviate our guilt will never be enough. Because it's not until we accept God's solution that our guilt and our pain can be taken away. I want you to look at chapter 3 and verse number 15. <clears throat> and in the verses prior to that, here's what God is doing. Verse 8, he confronts Adam and Eve in the garden and he then pronounces, he discovers their sin. Well, he already knew it, but he let them discover that he knew it. And, and then he begins to give them consequences for their sin. But I, I love about this passage is that God doesn't just pronounce judgment upon man. But in verse number 14 and 15, he pronounces judgment upon Satan. Look at verse number 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, 
Thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Now pay attention to verse 15. And he says, and I will put enmity. That means division, conflict. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Now pay attention to this. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So here's what, Satan, here's what God says to Satan. He says, listen, you're going to have to pay the consequences for this one day. That from here on out, there will be conflict between you and between mankind. Between thy seed and her seed. There will be this conflict that will rage for years and years and years. But he says, Satan, the day will come that this conflict will come to a head where you may bruise the heel of woman's seed, but the day will come when it will crush your skull. That's literally what it means by it'll bruise thy head. The idea there is literally that through the woman's seed that someone would come that would crush the skull, that would defeat Satan himself. Now, Genesis isn't very clear about it, but you can begin to read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all throughout the Old Testament, and then you come in the biblical canon to the book of Matthew. And it talks about how from the seed of Adam was born a man in the, in the city of Nazareth whose name was Jesus, who was of the seed of the woman, and that Jesus would live a perfect life. And he was the very son of God incarnate in the flesh. He was of the seed of the woman, but incarnate in the flesh as God. And he lived his life. And the day came when this man named Jesus hung on a cross on Golgotha's hill and he paid the price for your sins and for my sins. And Jesus then was buried and he rose from the dead. And my friend, when, Satan, or when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated Satan once and for all. That he crushed the skull of Satan. Because here's the truth. Because Jesus defeated death, we can have power over our sin. And that because Jesus died and rose from the dead, you and I don't have to be slaves to our sin. We're no longer a slave to fear, but we're a child of God. And that when Jesus died for our sins, listen, here's the truth we can embrace this morning. That the power of Christ within you is greater than the temptation without you. That if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've accepted him into your life, he has defeated Satan. And because he has already defeated Satan on the cross, you can have power over your sin in your daily life. That is by his grace he enables you to not fall to the manipulation of God's word. That is by his grace he enables you to trust in God's goodness. And maybe there are some of you this morning who you feel the guilt of sin and you've tried making yourselves aprons. You've tried covering your sin with religion. Say, man, I know I'm a sinner. I know, I know I'm not a perfect person and so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do some religious acts and hopefully that'll cover up my sin in the presence of God and one day when I get to heaven my good works will outweigh my bad. You, you try to serve and do good things or maybe even get baptized hoping that you can make yourself some sort of covering that God won't see your sin. But at the end of the day, God still sees it, just as he saw Adam and Eve in the garden. But you know what's amazing this morning? 
that Jesus sent his son to die on the cross so that we didn't have to make ourselves aprons. That we didn't have to try and cover up our sin because Jesus died on the cross not so we had to cover up our sin, but so he could once and for all cleanse us from our sin. And the truth is this morning, my friend, if you know you're a sinner and you know that you've fallen from the grace of God and you've disobeyed his word, that you don't have to do things to cover up your sin. All you have to do is place your faith that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient payment for your sins. And that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does Genesis chapter 3 teach us? That if we want to overcome temptation, we just got to do these two things. Know what God said and trust why he said it. If you want to defeat temptation in your life, here's all you have to do. Know what God said. Know what his word is about. Spend time in his word. Understand what he says. Why? So Satan can't manipulate it. And if you want to overcome temptation in your life, just trust why God said it. You know, we could sit, sit down across a coffee table and I could explain to you some reasons why God's boundaries are always good. But sometimes we don't know. We don't know why it's good for us. God just said it. And here's what we do. We just trust why he said it. I don't know why God said it. I can't maybe reason out why this is best for my life. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm just going to trust why God said it. My friend, if you'll do that, I promise you you'll overcome temptation in your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's what I want to do this.